to open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, and the very focus of the message, although it involves all of chapter 2 and part of chapter 3, will be verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things even the deep things of God. Father, I want to ask this morning as we open your word that you speak to our hearts, that you explain these truths to us, that we lay hold of them by faith, and that you uh, deepen our relationship with you and our understanding of who you are and what you're doing in our lives because of it. May we be changed because we're here, not just educated, but transformed. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been going through one of those seasons, I think, uh, as I do occasionally where I'm kind of introspective and meditative and thoughtful about uh, the church and about... uh, kind of where we are, not only us here in this room this morning, but as believers in, in this country, where where the church is going, so to speak. And um, as I've thought about that, I find that it seems to me like very few people really get it uh, as believers. They, they just don't seem to have a handle on what being a Christ follower is all about. Um, It's like they've added faith as a component of their lives. It's one of the things that explains them. Instead of being the thing of their lives, instead of Jesus Christ being the focus, the singular goal in life. He is kind of an add-on. And as a consequence of that, the church is still striving in all kinds of directions and looking for all kinds of things. And many, many believers live their lives basically in a state of confusion and lack of understanding. How does my faith fit my circumstances? How does this work? What good is it doing me? Um, what's God all about anyway? And, and there just seems to be a lot of misunderstanding. We don't see that kind of bedrock, solid, uh, stable commitment to Jesus Christ that characterized the church in the first century and in other periods of church history where People were willing to die for the convictions and the relationship that they had in Jesus Christ. Uh, I think today, if, if the church in general in this country were faced with the um, potential 
of becoming a martyr for our love and faith in Jesus Christ, we would be saying, God, you let us down. What in the world has happened? Where's that, where's that wonderful life you promised? I'm, I'm actually uh, being called on the line to give my life for Christ. And how could such a terrible thing happen? When those who have actually faced those questions in the history of the church have considered it a privilege and a joy to sacrifice for Jesus Christ. We seem to have a different viewpoint of life that is leaving us with a lot more questions than answers. And as I've meditated on this passage of Scripture, it's the same general text that I used at District Conference a few weeks ago, and as I've meditated upon it, I, I, I realize that God does not want us to go through life with more questions than answers. And He does not want us to go through life and come to the end of life with regrets. With the realization that we spent our lives investing them in the wrong things. I think one of the reasons why depression frequently sets in in the older years is not simply because life becomes more limited, and it does. I mean, you know, I, I watch people aging and losing some of their uh, capacities and, and, and uh, freedoms and when you give up that driver's license and those kinds of things, you know, life begins to close in and, and people face those and that's depressing. But I, I think there's another factor that, that figures into all of that. And that is the, the realization looking back saying, I've spent the majority of my life pursuing the wrong thing. And I spent my life investing it in worthless stuff. It may not be something you can hold in your hand, but it was, it was a use of time that now, in retrospect, was wasted. And I'm convinced from this passage of Scripture that God does not want us to go through life like that. Jesus said, I've come that... You can have life and have it abundantly. That your life will be full. That it will be meaningful. That it will have richness to it. And that when you come to the end of it, you won't have any regrets. In fact, if you have the opportunity to look back, many people don't. Many people are taken by a sudden catastrophic illness or a trauma and, and they're just in, a, in the blink of an eye, they're gone. But oftentimes people realize that they're nearing the end, they're coming to that moment, and they have a chance to look back, and God doesn't want us to have regrets. He wants us to come to that moment and say, I have lived well, I have invested my life in the right thing, and I am ready to meet my Lord. Paul said it this way, I have run the race that was set before me, I have finished my course, 
I have done what God asked me to do. There is laid up for me a crown, and I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. That's a life well lived. And that's how God wants us to live. And in order to live that way, He is willing to give us insight. He's willing to give us knowledge and understanding, wisdom if you please, about the true meaning of life so that we can live it well and spend it on the right kinds of things. And that's exactly what verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, Things which eye has not seen, which ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all those things God has prepared for those who love Him. Now, it's interesting growing up that as, as children, sometimes we get crazy notions in our head. Have you had that experience as a child? You know, something got locked in there and you got older and you realized, boy, that was dumb. <clears throat> How, why did I ever think that? You know, I used to sing a hymn as a kid. I grew up, a, I grew up in a Baptist church and I used to sing this hymn, When We Walk With The Lord, uh, We'll Walk By His Side In The Way. And I thought, that doesn't make sense. Why would you want to walk in his way? I mean, that, that was what my parents were always saying to me. You're in my way. You know, so I, I sang the song and I thought that's what I walk by his side in the way. I said, well, I'm in the way. I'm in everybody's way. <clears throat> now I'm in Jesus way. You know, it took me many years to figure out that that's not what the song meant, that the song meant on the path that we're on together. I'll, I'll walk with him. Oh, OK, that makes sense. Well, another one of those things that didn't make sense to me was this passage because I thought it was talking about heaven. Things which eye has not seen, which ear has not heard, which has never entered the heart of man, all those things God has prepared for those who love Him. Doesn't that sound futuristic? Doesn't that sound like heaven? Doesn't that sound like it's something waiting for out yonder? And, and that's kind of what I thought for many, many years until I read verse 10. Lo and behold, it has a context. Isn't that amazing? that a Scripture verse would have a context. They all have a context, by the way. And verse 10 says, For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. Uh Uh-oh, past tense. (laughs) This is not future, this is right now. Things that eye has not seen, that ear has not heard, that has never entered the heart of man, God has prepared those things for us in this moment and revealed them to us by His Spirit. So it is possible for us to have from God a wisdom, an understanding that goes beyond human intellectual capacity and and exceeds logic and takes us to a level of insight into the meaning of life that God is willing to share with us so that we won't go through life blindly and come to the end confused and wonder what it was all about. Or in the present moment, we just the second to the last song we sang, when disaster strikes, when the waters rise, life sometimes slams you, it, it hits you with hard stuff. And, you know, we find ourselves reeling, saying, what's the meaning of this? 
And God does not want us to live in perpetual questioning. He wants to give us insight and understanding. He has prepared amazing vistas of spiritual insight for those who love Him. You see, you see what He says? All that God has prepared for those who love Him. You know what a vista is? How many of you have driven through the mountains? Can I see your hand? You've been on a trip through the mountains. Okay, many of you. You know, they have a little turnoffs where you can stop and it says, Overlook ahead. If you're in the Smokies, if you're on the... Great Smoky Mountains, you know, you see overlook ahead and you pull off the road and you can see the vista. You can see the, the, the expanse of mountain and valley and the beauty and it just, it just stretches out before you. It's amazing. And, and all of a sudden, a sense of the immensity and the grandeur and, and the wonder of the mountains kind of strikes you. A few years ago, when one of the young women in our church got married out in Portland, the family wanted me to do the ceremony, and so they flew my wife and me out to Portland to do the wedding, and then uh, gave us a few days while we were out there, and we rented a car, and we drove over to the Pacific Northwest Coast, and we had a chance to drive up and down the coast. And I grew up in Florida, where the beach was flat and level, and you kind of walked a few hundred yards out on the sand, usually, into a, an ocean that just kind of gradually... It, it was totally different. The Pacific Northwest has cliffs, you know, and there, there are boulders in the water the size of this room. And, and you come on one of those overlooks, and it's like, here's the, the Pacific Ocean stretching out, and there's the forest, and there are the cliffs, and there's these big rocks, and it's like, wow, this is totally different. And you get that vista, that overview, the panorama. In fact, as, as a photographer, those of you that are into that, you know, it's quite a challenge to take a picture of that that, 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 covers the expanse because the camera can't take in all that the eye can see. It's just, it's just amazing. God wants to give us those vistas, those panoramas of understanding, of, of appreciation of life and of His own character and of our nature. He wants to explain things to us so that we are not living life in confusion. But as the psalmist put it, He has set my feet upon a rock, and I am solid and stable, and, and the winds and the waves cannot shake me, because I know that I know that I know the truth. I know the secret to the meaning of life. I understand it. I'm moving in the right direction. I'm confident in my destiny. Why is it important for us to have these vistas? Well, for one thing, Paul says in Romans, I can never get very far away from Romans. Romans explains everything. But Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. You see, 
the key to transformation begins with the renewing of the mind. We have to have a new way of thinking. We have to see things properly the way God sees them so that we can assess them with the right value. Another way of saying it is worldview. We have to have a a God-centered, biblical worldview. We have to think the way God thinks. And we don't do that naturally. In fact, the Scripture says, there is a way that seems right to a man. What is that? It's the logical, reasonable explanation of life. There's a way that seems right to a man. But the end of it is death. That's not a very good outcome. In other words, it leads to despair. If you live life to the best of your ability, with, and you get yourself well-trained and well-educated, and you attack life with all the knowledge that, that humanity can pull together to tell you what is wise and reasonable and sensible, and you embrace life with that perspective, the Bible says the end of that path is death. Are you with me? I'm quoting Scripture. So if you have a problem with this, you need to take it up with someone bigger than me. The Scripture says, do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God, and He will direct your paths. So, so there's a very big importance here. We need to know the way God thinks. And we don't think that way naturally. The Scripture says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, neither are my ways your ways, for my thoughts are as high above yours as the heavens are above the earth. Something has to happen to change the way we think in order for us to be transformed and not be in pursuit of emptiness, of meaninglessness. And and that transformation is crucial to give us the right perspective of life. It's, It's bottom line wisdom. Secondly, this is offered freely to us by God. If you look at Proverbs chapter 8, Proverbs 8 is an interesting chapter because in that chapter, wisdom is personified. You know what I mean by that? Wisdom is like a person. Look for her. Seek her. Search for her. And basically what the chapter says is, if you pursue wisdom, it's the most valuable pursuit you could enjoin. It will, it will satisfy you. It will make your life meaningful. It will give you richness. Uh, and I'm not talking about money now, I'm talking about internal uh, satisfaction. My life has meaning, I love it, it has value. But if you come to the New Testament, right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, you find out that wisdom is a person, it's Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 30 of chapter 1, But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us 
wisdom from God. Jesus Christ is the source. And when you find Him, you have come to the fountain of wisdom. And we need that. We need this understanding if life is going to really make sense for us. I've put in our study guide, our outline, it is the chain that anchors our faith. Wisdom is not the anchor. Jesus is the actual anchor. He's the the cast iron, you know, thing in in the rock. He's the anchor. But wisdom is the chain that connects us this knowledge from God, this understanding, so that our faith will rest rightly in Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note that we are not asked in the Scripture to simply believe. The Bible nowhere says just have faith. It always says have faith in God. If any man would come to God, he must believe. Is that where it ends? No. He must believe that God exists and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We are never told to have faith. That's the world's idea. Just have faith. You know, haven't you heard that? You know, um, you talk to somebody in a situation of crisis, uh, is your faith holding up for you? Faith is never going to hold up for you. Faith will let you down every time. What good is faith? Just have faith. Okay. You're standing in the tunnel. There's a light in front of you. Is it the end of the tunnel or is it the train? Just have faith that it's the light. Well, that's great if it's not the train. But if it's the train, you're in trouble. Faith is useless unless it has an object. And the Scripture never counsels us to have faith. It counsels us to have faith in a person and to put our confidence and trust in Him and in His Word, in His truth, We're not asked to believe in anything. We're asked to believe in something very specific. That we believe in the truth. We believe in Jesus Christ. We are also told in His Word that there is absolute truth. This book is not fluid. It's not an opinion. As one person put it, God did not give us ten suggestions. This book is absolute fact. It is the bedrock, and we're invited by God to trust Him and to trust His Word, because it's true. It will tell you whether the light is a train or the way out. The Bible has that kind of guidance. God is willing to give us that information. He wants us to move through life successfully, so that when we come to the end, we will have lived well, And we will be satisfied, and we can look back over our years and say with Paul, I have run the race that was set before me, and I have finished my course. There is laid up for me a crown. I'm looking for it. 
Well, if that kind of knowledge from God, if that kind of wisdom from God is all that important, the question becomes, how do we get it? And the first thing that we have to recognize from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 here is that it does not come naturally. It cannot be discovered naturally. Notice what he says in verse 9 again. Things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man. What is he saying? God has prepared understanding for us. God has prepared knowledge for us that no one has ever seen on their own. No one has ever heard on their own. No one has even thought about it. Because it's foreign to the way we think. The, the, the knowledge and wisdom that God wants to give does not naturally fall along the lines of human reasoning. So, eye has not seen. You didn't see it on a vista in the Great Smoky Mountains. You didn't see it on your television. You didn't see it on a billboard. Lord knows you didn't see it on a billboard. You haven't heard it. it has, it's not something that you've heard in the natural realm, you didn't get it in a college classroom or from your high school teacher or in a lecture. It's not the kind of thing that other people, you know, you stand around and talk about at your favorite gathering place. Usually. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard. In fact, human beings apart from God never even think the right way. It's never entered the heart of man. It's never come to, it's never occurred to anyone. <clears throat> How many times have you heard people who in the natural realm, and this is one of the things that can, can trip us up, because it cannot be attained or determined by effort or rational analysis. It must be revealed. How many times have you even heard people who have embraced Christianity? I mean, think about that for just a moment. Once again, we're not supposed to have faith in a system what does it mean to, 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 to follow Christianity? Have you ever heard people say that? Yeah, I, I live by the Ten Commandments. Right. You just don't understand the Ten Commandments. Anybody that says that doesn't understand them. I live by the Golden Rule. I like the teachings of Jesus. He was a great philosopher. I have adopted his philosophy. Nonsense. You can't do that. You can't even come to the Bible by human wisdom and logic and embrace it as a system of, of, of life, a way of living, a philosophy. It is not. We are introduced to a person and brought into a relationship. And God wants us to walk with Him. So this wisdom that God offers, this, this understanding, cannot be determined by human effort or rational analysis. It must be revealed to the discerning heart by the Spirit of God. Notice what he says in verse 10. For to us God revealed these things through the Spirit. Look with me in these last verses of chapter 2. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received 
not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned or appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, what is Paul saying here? He's saying that... He gives us an example. He says, who knows, the spirit, who knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man? And I submit to you this morning, let's just take the test. Think about it for a moment. Who knows you better than you do? Let's get, leave God out of the equation for a moment. I know that's the Sunday school answer, but just, you know, like the little boy that was shown a picture. You've heard the story in Sunday school. He's shown a picture of a squirrel, and the Sunday school teacher said, what is this? And he says, well, I know the right answer is Jesus, but it looks an awful lot like a squirrel. I mean, we we just, we kind of go that way. Okay, so just take God out of the equation for a moment. Who knows your thoughts better than you know your thoughts? You can be married, you can have a best friend, you can have family relationships, I don't care who it is. No one really knows what's going on inside of you. Totally. In fact, there's thoughts that go through your mind you hope no one will ever know. We all have them. There's only one way for me to know what's going on inside of your head. And that's for you to tell me. Otherwise, I have no way to know. You're the only one that can know that, unless you choose to tell me. Paul says, think about it. That's logically true, right? So he says, no one knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God. And those to whom he chooses to reveal it. So how can we know what God is thinking? The only way we can know is if he tells us. And, and he says he has given us his Spirit just for that purpose. God wants us to know his thoughts. He wants us to know what he's thinking. He wants us to know what's on his mind. Jesus said, uh, I don't call you slaves. A slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you my friends because I'm telling you what's going on in my mind. I'm telling you what my goals are. I'm telling you my will. I've, I've brought you into the inner circle. I'm revealing to you my heart. So Paul says that God wants to tell us what's on his heart. He wants to explain the panorama of life to us from his viewpoint, which, by the way, is perfect and infallible. He knows what's going on. And and he wants us to understand that. But we can never get there on our own. Spiritual thoughts are spiritually discerned. I was, I was going to talk about intuition. I didn't do this in the first hour, and I'm probably going to get into trouble here. You know, some people say they have intuition. What, what does intuition mean? It means they have a sense of knowing that kind of bypasses the brain. You know what I mean by that? And, and, and some people like to make a lot out of women's intuition. I think... 
I, I, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble. There's just no, there's just no way out. And, but uh, I, I've already waded in, so I'll swim for a while. But I really think perhaps what it is is they're more astute observers. They're more keyed in to emotional intelligence than guys are. Now, some of you men can take me to task for that, but I and I think it's something, by the way, that you can learn as well. But I think. Perhaps women are more wired that way than men initially. I don't know. I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm going to stop. I'm just going to keep moving on. But intuition, there, there's also the science that has gotten into um, micro-emotions. Do you know what I'm talking about? They've done this with high-speed video where they uh, focus on a person's face and they can lift one frame out of 60 frames a second and in a millisecond of time, for example, anger may cross someone's face, even though they're saying, oh, of course, I'd be glad to help you. But you catch it on high-speed video, and, and the initial reaction was anger or irritation. And they say some people are cued into that. They can catch those micro-emotions. They can catch those micro-flashes that, that are typically missed. Well, discernment is like that. Discernment is something that kind of bypasses the rational process. It's, it's a knowing, a truth that comes from within and arises up to the mind. And Paul says that the spiritual things are spiritually discerned by spiritual people. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God brings truth to us at a level that is even more profound than the mind, and the truth comes in the door by faith out of the relationship, and then it rises to the mind where we give words and thoughts and meaning to it. But, but truth comes in in our relationship with God. Let me explain what I mean with an illustration. A few years ago, we had a young lady come and speak to us who happened to be a converted uh, Jew, and she was a follower of Jesus now, and she came to share her testimony about Passover time, because we wanted her to, to give us some insight in, into Passover. And this was her testimony. She was a college student who was a, a total rationalist, a humanist, who was a moral relativist, and completely embrace situational ethics. That means you do whatever, whatever you feel is right at the times, what you do. Whatever your truth is, is your truth. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your... Everybody can have truth and it can all be different. Wow. You know? She, she was a complete relativist. And um, she had been having conversations with this pastor about the Bible and, and about uh, Scripture, and she didn't believe the Bible. It was a human book written by human authors, and it was full of mistakes and archaic ideas, and it, it really wasn't very applicable to the times. And, and uh, she was all for the, the new agenda in morality in our country, which is no morality at all, and, and, and she had embraced all of those kinds of things. And she was a typical worldly unbelieving college student. And she was invited to come to a, a meeting one evening, and she agreed to go, and she said in that meeting, and this is important, 
She said, in that meeting, she said, somewhere through the sermon, she said, I realized, she said, God opened my eyes and I realized that I was a sinner. I had sinned against the holy God and I needed a savior. And I realized that Jesus Christ was the Savior. Not just my Savior, and you can have a different one, but He was the Savior. She said, my eyes, that was, my eyes were open and I realized that. And so she said, she said on the way to church, she had been debating once again with the pastor about all of this moral relativism stuff and situational ethics and, and everything. And she said, I went forward that night and received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And, and here's the important part. I mean, that was important, but this is, this is key. She said, in an instant, I knew. I knew the Bible was completely true. I knew there were moral absolutes. I knew the Ten Commandments were accurate. I knew that situational ethics was wrong. She said there was no discussion. There was no, it wasn't even on my mind. All I knew was that I needed a Savior and I needed to come to Jesus. But she said the moment I received Him as my Lord and Savior, I instantly had the answers to all my other questions, I knew the truth. That did not come to her mind logically. It came from the Spirit of God revealing it to her, and it rose into her consciousness as an accepted, accomplished fact. Spiritual truth comes that way. It comes by revelation. Have you ever had the experience of waking up in the middle of the night and uh, seeing something in your room that you don't recognize? There's just enough light to see the shadow, but it looks like something it isn't. And sometimes you get a, a start from that. I remember a number of years ago, one of our boys had a birthday or something, and someone had sent them a, uh, given them a helium balloon, you know, one of those foil things that uh, stands up in the present or whatever. It's helium balloon, and it had a smiley face on it. Well, those things don't stay inflated forever. But unless you pop them, they don't deflate instantly. They just kind of lose ballast. And so... It was happily against the ceiling of our dining room the last time I saw it. And in the middle of the night, I woke up to this shiny, somewhat shiny thing in the dark room floating about this high around my bed with this weird grin. It scared the liver out of me. I had no idea what being was in my room. I turned on the light, and there was that stupid balloon. And, and it had shrunk down to about five feet off the ground, and through the night it had floated up the stairs and into our bedroom. And it was now hovering around the bed. 
scared me to death until I turned the light on and all of a sudden everything made sense. Friends, I'm not telling you that God's revelation is illogical, it's some mystery knowledge, it's some secret hidden stuff that you have to have the golden glasses or the special insight. I'm telling you that when God turns the light on, true truth hits you in the face and it makes perfectly good sense. All of a sudden, you see it like you've never seen it before. It's logically consistent. It's absolutely true. In the Scriptures, it's grammatically and exegetically sound. It always fits the rules of grammar. All I'm saying is, you cannot arrive at it through your logical deduction. You need the Spirit of God to turn the light on. You need God to reveal it to you. In fact, it's not simply that it's hard to see. God says that He has actually hidden this understanding from those who think they are wise and prudent. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, said those very words. God has hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. In other words, God takes an active role in concealing things from people who are arrogant. They're not really wise and prudent, they just think they are. They think they can figure it out. They think they're smart enough to decipher it all. And, and like that wealthy uh, farmer who had the bumper crop and said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns and I'm going to lay up my treasures and I'm going to kick back and take it easy because I have now had the, the, the wealth of my life and I'm ready to retire in ease. And Jesus said the word came to him, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. In other words, this is your last day on the planet. You've got the architect here building, uh, designing a bigger barn, and this is your last day. What good is it going to do you? And Jesus followed that story up with these words, For what does it profit a man if he gains the entire world and loses his soul? But here's the thing, friends. We always think of that in terms of, in, in ultimate terms. You, you either, you, you die and go to hell so you lost your soul, or, or you're born again and you go to heaven so you saved your soul. I want to say to you this morning, it's possible to lose your soul a little bit at a time, even though as a believer in Jesus Christ, you will end up in heaven whenever you die. The fact is, you can spend your life foolishly because you are pursuing empty things. And when you come to the end of the journey and you look back, you will be sad because you wasted it. You invested it in the wrong thing. How many people could you have spoken to? How many hours could you have spent with those you love? 
How much time could you have spent getting to know Jesus? You know, I've seen many people come to the end of their life and move through the veil. And not all of them, even believers, are, are ready to go. And some of them are very fearful. And I think one of the reasons is we just don't know Jesus well enough. We just don't know Jesus well enough. We're all going to end up there someday. Jesus tarries. Every one of us is going to face that moment. And I guess the thing that gives me pause is when it's all said and done and the last day of my life has been written, Will I know Jesus so well that the next step will be easy for me? I'm not talking about physically. It's never easy to die physically. But spiritually, we can be prepared. God does not want us to come to the end of the journey and be lost. And I'm not talking now about heaven and hell. I'm just talking about life. God wants us to live our lives on purpose, with meaning, with content. I have come that you can have it in abundance. I, want, I don't want you to go through life confused. I don't want you to go through life mystified by the things that are happening. I want to give you the panorama. I want to explain things to you. I want you to walk with me. I want your life to have meaning. A natural man, you can't figure this out on your own. Well, who can have it? If we can't get it on our own, to whom is God willing to give it? Well, he's not willing to give it to the natural man because spiritual truths make no sense sense to him. He rejects them. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. What does that mean? It means when you look at a natural man, and when I say natural, I mean just ordinary people out on the street who are not followers of Jesus Christ. When you look at a natural man and you say, did you know, sir, that you uh, have done wrong things in your life that the Bible calls sin? And did you know that God who is in heaven, who made you, is a holy God, and one day you're going to have to answer to him for for those things? Now, he may or may not agree with you up to that point. Most people these days are going to say, you're nuts. Leave me alone. And then you say, do you know how God is going to uh, determine how well you did? And whether or not you can gain heaven? And the natural man will say, well, sure. Uh, You know, I've done the best I could. I've, I, I haven't really tried to do anything wrong. I, I've done some things wrong, but they're just kind of by accident. And I've done the best I could, and I've uh, been good to people, and I've tried to live by the golden rule, and, and, I've, and I've tried basically to keep the Ten Commandments and tried not to lie too much. Well, I never liked my wife's meatloaf, but God understands that, you know, telling her it was good was not really a lie, and and so I've, I've kind of managed to get through life, you know. And so I think, I think I've, I'm a pretty good person and God's going to accept me. 
and you say, um, did you know that God's requirement is absolute perfection? Did you know that God is so holy he cannot stand to look at even one tiny sin, one tiny thought that you had that was inappropriate? God hates that. And, and it causes revulsion in him. It, it causes his wrath to be kindled. The score is perfection from the second you were born till right now. You can never have had one thought or word or deed that is inappropriate to a holy God. And he says, you're nuts. You're, you're, just, you're just crazy. And then you tell him, but Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed His blood to cover your sin. And if you will believe in Him, God will forgive you and cleanse you and make you perfect in His sight. And the natural man says, now you've lost it. Now you're crazy. And the biggest problem with the cross, the reason the cross is a stumbling block to unbelievers is because it requires them to give up on their own best efforts and to humbly turn to God for what they cannot do for themselves. And no one wants to admit they are helpless. That's just one example. There are many others. Jesus said, you want to get ahead in life? Become everyone's servant. Serve people. Serve them. Give your life for them. Don't worry about climbing the ladder. Don't worry about getting ahead. Don't worry about the promotions. Just serve people. Just give them your life. And you say, but I like my life. I want to do what I want to do. I, I, want, to, I want to do my thing. You know, Sinatra has my theme song. I did it my way. That's my song. What craziness is it to give your life away? How stupid could that be? See? The natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. They make no sense. They're illogical. Until you understand God's viewpoint. Until you get His panorama. Until He makes it make sense for you. So the natural man can't get it. But the, the problem is, and I'm speaking to a largely believing audience this morning, the problem is many Christians can't get it. Not only can unbelievers not get it, but many Christians can't get it because we are carnal. Look at chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to carnal Babes in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, you're still not able, for you're still carnal, because there's jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh? What is all this business of jealousy and strife? Well, if you read the whole Corinthian letter, you find out what was going on in their church. But here's the bottom line. People who still are out for themselves will never have the insight and understanding that God wants to give. And many believers are like that. Here, here are Christians at Corinth who are carnal, 
And notice their carnality is reflected in their jealousy and their strength. In other words, they want their own way. And as long as you want your own way, you're not going to understand the ways of God. He's not going to tell you. He's wasting his breath. And God does not waste his counsel. You've heard me tell the story, some of you. Well, let me, let me do a show of hands. How many of you have heard me tell the story of how they catch monkeys in Indonesia? Can I see your hands? Oh, my goodness. You did better than the 8 o'clock group. I only had about three or four people in the 8 o'clock group. Well, afterwards, someone came up to me and actually explained it to me how that, they, that they make what they call a monkey fist out of a coconut. So I got a little embellishment to the story between services. But this is true. For those of you who haven't heard, the rest of you, you can tune out for just about one minute, and you've got to come back. Monkeys, if you try to chase them, they run into the trees, climb the trees, and get away. So how do they catch them? They drill a hole in a coconut about two inches wide. They hollow out the coconut from that hole, and then they put something in the coconut, some food or some article, a shiny bobble or something else that the monkey wants. And they put the thing out, and the monkey comes along and sticks his hand, squeezes it down and sticks his hand in the hole and gets his fist around the treasure. And then you just simply chase him down because he will not let go of it. And he can't climb a tree with a coconut on his fist. Okay? That's, that's real stupid, isn't it? I mean, we've got to admit, monkeys are stupid. Friends, <laughs> how many Christians are caught by the enemy because we saw something we wanted and we put our fist around it and we've got a hold and now we've got this coconut on our hand and we won't let go. And the enemy just runs us down. Until you are willing to let go of your goals and embrace God's fully, he will not waste his breath explaining to you the deeper meaning and understanding. And, and this goes deep. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about that 50-inch flat screen. I'm talking about, can I get real honest with you? God, you have to make my marriage work. You have to make my marriage work. You've got to give me my wife. You've got to give me my husband back. I have to have this marriage work. Is that more important to you than Jesus Christ? God, you've got to heal me. You've got to heal me. It's not right for a Christian to have this illness. Is that more important to you than Jesus Christ? You've got to meet my need. You've got to pay my bills. Is that more important to you than Jesus Christ? You've you've got to help me get this advantage in life. I've got to move ahead. I've got to have this thing. It's noble. It's honest. It's a wonderful thing. There's no reason why you should object to it. I want it. Is that more important to you than Jesus Christ? Lord, you've got to get my kid off drugs. You've got to do it. You have to do it. Until I have that, it's all I want. 
Oh, is that more important to you than Jesus Christ? You see what I mean? We get our fist around something that we want really, really bad. And God says, I would love to explain this to you more fully. But you are so fixated on your goals that you can't hear me talking. Until you give up your goals and embrace mine completely, you will not get it. To be of the flesh simply means that we are pursuing what comes natural to us. And God says, and don't misunderstand, God heals, God provides, God restores broken relationships. He loves to do that. Doesn't always happen, but he loves to do it. But it's more important that you get connected with him and walk through the, the trial, walk through the storm, walk through the, the pressures of life with confidence in your God and in your relationship with him. And you know what it's all about. I'm not disparaging this morning in any way education or training or learning or anything like that. I'm, I'm not telling you to stop doing everything you're doing and you know, go sit on a mountaintop somewhere. That's not what I mean at all. God, God wants to put you in places where you can be an ambassador for Him. They may be amazing places. They may be amazing places. You know, it may be your calculus class. It may be your place of business. He, he may want to use that impending divorce in your life as a way to show His glory in your life. He's, he hates divorce. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He doesn't like it. But people do it. They're stubborn and self-centered and they do it. And... and it takes two to be married. It only takes one to break it up. And God can still work in the midst of that. And God wants to show His wisdom. He wants to show His power. He wants to explain to you what it's all about so that you don't miss what's really, really, really important. And you will not have that insight unless you have fully embraced Jesus Christ as your goal. Paul said, you know why Paul could say to Timothy, in the middle, early 60s, you know, last letter he wrote, I have run the race that was set before me. I have finished the course. There is now laid up for me a crown you know why he could say that? Because 15 years ago he wrote to the Philippians and he said, I want to know him. This is my goal in life. I want to know him, Jesus Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. 
I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed to the image of his death. Forgetting what lies behind, I'm pressing forward to the mark of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the only thing that motivates my life. I want to know Jesus every day, every hour. I want to know him. Fifteen years later, I have run the race. I've finished the course. I have no regrets. I have lived my life the way it was supposed to be lived. Friends, if you're willing to come to God in humble dependence, one of the reasons this sermon's on my heart, I cannot believe when I think about it sometimes how many people in our church, a relatively small congregation, I cannot believe how many people are facing crises, major crises. Your lives have been upended. You sitting here in this room, you know what you're going through, and you may know what one or two others are going through, but I'm in a position where I know what many of you are going through. There are people in this room and people in the earlier service that you are facing some of the biggest battles of your life. And God does not want you going through them in a fog without any understanding just battered by the storm. He wants to give you wisdom. He wants to show you. He wants to give you insight. He wants to draw you to Himself. He wants it to make sense for you. Things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it's never occurred to the natural mind. God is prepared for those who love Him and revealed them by His Spirit. So that when you finish the course, you can have no regrets. You can run well. You can end on time. You can finish with a crown reserved in your name from Jesus Christ, who will thrust open the door of heaven and say, Well done. My good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom that I have prepared for you. I don't know about you, but I want to hear those words. That's what I want at the end of the day. I want to hear those words. Father, you know the needs of hearts this morning. We don't mean to, but we often get distracted by things in life that capture our attention. And then before we know it, we've got our fist in the coconut. And we won't let go. And so we're stuck. And I pray, oh God, this morning that you would give us the grace to let go of whatever it is we're hanging on to and to turn to You with all of our heart knowing that what You can do is beyond our comprehension. It's never even dawned on us what You have prepared. That You are trustworthy. That life will make sense. That You will show us the path. That we can have wisdom to run well, and to finish well. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you guide us.
to that place of total surrender. For the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.